Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman Perks, and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And I'm delighted to have Jim Brigden on this series. Jim was recommended as an inspiring leader by Paul Cooper, and Paul helped Jim sell four businesses. So clearly uh, hugely successful. Currently an executive director at Brain Labs, uh, which has about 400 people in the UK and the US. And his specialism has been in the search advertising industry. And he has the reputation uh, and the respect for 20 years uh, in the search engine advertising industry. So probably one of the longest serving people outside the USA here in the UK. Yahoo acquired uh, a search engine that he had uh, set up, went from three people to 600 by the time he did that. So, Jim, welcome. Great to have you on the series. Thank you, Jonathan. I should say that the, the search engine that, that Yahoo acquired, it was an American company that I launched in the US and it was up and running and it was a, already a NASDAQ quoted company. So, so it was um, it was up and running. I, ca I can't claim that success. OK, but uh, you, you've, uh, you've achieved an awful lot already in a short well, space of time. Thank uh, you. And I found it very interesting in our conversations, Jim, about how you began life and how that's given you a perspective. Uh, on the UK and abroad. Do you want to just share in a, in a little nutshell a bit about yes. how you began in life and why yeah. you appreciate what you've uh, got now in life and where you Yeah, yeah, sure. I am. Um, I'm, I'm a North London boy. I was brought up in St Albans, and I was in a very nice uh, estate, a nice primary school, for up to the age of eleven. And then we, as a family, we went to Singapore, where we did three years at an international school in Singapore. With kids from all around the world um, in the late 70s, early 80s. And it was a great experience, really great um, friends, family, education. And then came back to the UK where I, I spent a bit of time at a pub, public school in uh, Hertfordshire, two, two terms until I left, where I went to local comp in St Albans. And so it, kind of, it gave me a good perspective on internationalism and I suppose the class system in the UK and how it operated and um, and after some time in university in London I went to America for three years so I've been very privileged I've lived in three of the world's great cities in Singapore London New York and I've, I've kind of um, I like to think moved through kind of different countries and different industries over the years which have given me a good perspective and good empathy on how how the world fits together and I, I, I really love that. Mm, that's grand. Uh, and Jim, just perhaps talk to us about your career journey to where you are now, mm -hmm. some of the different organisations that you've worked with and what you've learned en route, because of course everybody's interested in listening a, a bit about the, the, the context of it, but, but to take away the learning and perhaps your advice to others from, from what you learned in the different jobs you did and how you made oh, your way. We've only got an hour and a half, Jonathan. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I've worked at a lot of different countries and uh, there's a lot of, lot of things I could, could hand through. I, I started out after I graduated uh, in media sales, um, selling magazine space. I quickly realised I didn't want to be in that industry for very long. And I went into the photography industry, uh, which 
was brilliant exposure to me because it wasn't that commercial and I, and I was quite commercial and that allowed me to move to, to New York where I was working in the creative industry in a foreign city having the time of my life um, and then I moved back into the UK just as the internet was kind of taking off I had a brief stint at British Airways at, the, at their air miles division so you know, I covered you know media sales creativity technology within the British Airways in infrastructure all, all very different um skills that allowed me to to move into the internet when it was kicking off mm. do a dot-com startup where i did a year kind of helping a business grow before i joined a search engine myself um and just to kind of finish the career journey off i did four years with the search engine overture before yahoo bought it and then set up a a search marketing agency called the search works with some other very bright people that business grew um, and was acquired by a Swedish company in 2007. And then I set up another business with a couple of good friends called the iSpy Search Advertising, Social Advertising and Analytics, which was acquired by um, Dentu Aegis. And I did an earn out there. And now I'm at Brain Labs um, as an executive director there. So, so what I learned over my career is, you know, all the places I've been have been pretty much fast growth, where I've been working with teams to, to grow kind of new propositions and new products. Um, what have I learned? I've learned to work hard, get, surround myself by smart people, um, work hard, be nice to people, treat people how I'd like to be treated myself and, and kind of deliver success. I've always been very motivated by winning. Um, Oh, yes. So much I've learned over the years. I mean, I'm, I'm 50, 52. I try and learn something new every day. Always stretch yourself. Yeah. And, and we were talking earlier and you've shared some of the, uh, the tips and advice, but gaining the wisdom, often we gain it from, certainly I gain it from all the mistakes that I make. You either succeed or you learn something, but you also learn something when you succeed. Um, knowing what you know now, if you met your younger self, as well as giving the wisdom about surround yourself with, you know, army of giants and, you know, be nice to people, work hard. Any other tips you'd give to, to the young Jim Brigden who's starting out? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure if I was, if I was, if I was in my early twenties, well, I'd listen to a boring old git like myself, but <laughs> assuming I did, assuming I did listen to myself, I'd, I'd probably say, have a bit more confidence in your your own abilities and, and take a few more risks yeah, because yeah. you know you've definitely been in the right place at the right time and you know I'm really proud of what I've achieved over my career but you know sometimes I think could I have achieved a bit more if I'd taken a few more risks and been a bit more confident in my own ability yeah I think that's that's what I'd try and pass on to a younger self yeah great and, and you have had some uh, you know anybody having a successful business which they sell Mm -hmm. and then exit from doing it once great you know could be lucky but you've done it four times uh, that's a remarkable achievement so tell us a bit more if that might include that of some of your proudest moments in your career in your life and also maybe a darker moments uh, and what you learned from both the proud moments and the dark moments yeah yeah I am um, I mean the first time I sold a business the search works we 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 had a really good exit with a really good business at the time we were 150 ish people we had a really strong agency business in the uk 
we had a fantastic client list. We had uh, small sales offices in Germany and France and Japan. I was really pr proud because it's difficult to open a, a business up in, in Japan. And we did that successfully. And it had a lot of value um, when the, we were acquired. And, you know, I've done a lot of that work with a small team. And so we sold the business at a really good valuation. And that feeling of um, achievement, that uh, it was a real adrenaline run. Three short years, we'd grown the business from pretty much a startup to... 150 million in billings and 12 million in revenue, 6 million profit. It was rocket growth. And we had great clients and a great team. And when we sold it, although it was it was a real high for me that we'd got a great exit price and, a, you know, it was well valued, you know, it was also a bit bittersweet because somebody else bought it and took the business. And I don't think they, they saw a lot of value themselves in the long term from it, but it was a great business. Mm. And I got a real sense of adrenaline rush from doing that and a real, you know, weight off my shoulders because I'd made some money for the first time in my life. And, I, I, you know, I didn't have, I don't come from a background of money and I hadn't made, made money and I'd done it with a great team. But, you know, I was key to that. And I was really, really um, proud of that. And you kind of talked about transitions. When I was kind of thinking what to do next, I really wanted to prove to myself that it, it wasn't luck, that I could do it again. And I, you know, started I Spy with Chris Whitelaw and Nick Jones. It was a small business when I started, joined them. That was a great business that, that we grew and, you know, a really good team and a really set, good set of clients. And again, we had a really good exit there. And that second time round feeling, you know, the fact that it wasn't just the first time, it wasn't just luck you know maybe I did have some talent and could get a good team around me twice and could grow a good business with a good culture and a good set of values and get a, a good shareholder exit that that for me was a it's, I mean it's, what was I spiral search works more satisfying actually that the fact that I did both of them mm. really really good feeling yeah and what about the, the dark side um and what did you learn from from the tougher times in your personal life or your work yeah well I mean the, I mean, obviously, everybody has tough times in the, in, uh, at home. Now, I've been married for 20 years. It's not always been easy, but I've got a really good marriage. But I think I'd rather talk about work lessons, I guess. Um, you know, one of the things that, that hasn't gone so well in the last few years, I'm, I'm, I was an investor in another business um, where, I, you know, I almost probably got a bit too um, thinking I had the Midas touch that, you know, after four of good exits that everything that I uh, was going to touch turned to gold. And I can convince quite a lot of people to invest in a business that um, it hasn't really quite worked out for a load of different reasons. And it's the proposition's pretty good. I think the technology pretty good. We've never really got the team super firing and, um, and the, we've still got the, the patients alive. It's breathing. It's stopped bleeding, um, and you know maybe we'll get through it. But that's that's been pretty hard at times for for me and for the rest of the, the management team. That it hasn't quite got to some some brilliant performance because frankly I think it should. Yeah, and you touched on a really good point. And I think with virtual teams trying to survive and thrive, um, 
if there's not psychological safety and trust within the team, it just will never happen. Because there's that lovely simple equation, trust equals speed times cost. Where trust is high, things happen quickly and it's mm -hmm. not expensive. But where trust is low and there's no psychological safety, there's no innovation, there's no creativity, and, and everything takes so damn long and with lots of checking with each other and water cooler conversation or separate Zoom conversations after Zoom conversations. And you often have to get legal involved or fire people and then they counter sue and things. So what's, what's your experience? Yeah, sense? well, I think that, that's yeah, I, I, that absolutely resonates how you're just describing it there. And you know, we've taken, you know, we've, we've taken quite a lot of radical steps. You know, we've changed the CEO, we've got a, a new CEO in the business and a new chair. Um, and actually, you know, as time goes goes on with that business, the tr the trust is coming back and it's starting to come there. But it's been a painful experience. Um, and I think, you know, all of us have gone through a journey in that business and, and hopefully it, it comes through the other side. But yeah, that, I think your equation is a good one. I learned from that. As I said earlier, I try and learn every day. That's a, a, yeah. a That's good calculation. Yeah, it's from the book's Stephen Covey Jr., um, The Speed of Trust. You probably don't need the rest of the book. That, that is the essence of it. Um, quick fire questions, healthy, wealthy and wise. What would be your tips on what's helped? you the habits you have to be healthy wealthy and wise Jim. well that the healthy thing is really important um, i saw paul cooper last week to, talking about his health health lessons that he'd learned um, and i went through a similar journey um you know a few years ago i was definitely uh, overweight and not in great shape and i've i've got into a real habit of going to the personal trainer a couple of times a week who abuses me terribly but i find it really motivating i find i'm more successful as a business person um and as you know as a father and a dad by being fitter and healthier it gives me lots of positive energy so regular exercise is is brilliant and i love being a personal trainer and i love golf and i love tennis and i love playing football so I, all those things give me good exercise but getting the habit of it i think is really key you know don't don't do a burst and then come back to it when you, so do it regularly and eat well yeah, very, very much agree with you. And, and this morning for me was yoga. Uh, okay. This was yesterday because I was very stiff because the personal trainer was beasting my wife and myself in our garage gym yeah. um, where we've got most of the equipment. But I was so stiff that yeah. yoga and stretching is also excellent exercise. Yeah. Great. So that was healthy. What about a bit of um, wisdom on money and, and wealthy? As you say, you came with no money, but now mm -hmm. you've... Um, made some money for yourself what's your advice on on money yeah um well i think having a, a good financial advisor that you really trust and i know my financial advisor I've, I've had two over the last 30 years both of them i count as friends um that i really trust and we i've got a good balanced portfolio and i say my advice is manage it regularly and really get into the detail of it and really check it through um so have somebody you trust be on it um and you know I, at the end of my life i don't think i'll look back and think about possessions so i'm trying to make sure that i've got enough money to make give my kids enough of a leg up that's what what motivates me about money it isn't about you know i don't i don't want to hang around on a yacht with jay-z and beyonce you know that doesn't motivate me at all and in fact i haven't got enough money to do that <laughs> but you know, having enough money to give you options and enough money to say, no, I don't want to do that is a great liberating feeling. 
um, so you know, make sure you've got enough money to yeah. um, say no. Yeah. And uh, you talk about your children, and mm-hmm. I just wondered, are your folks still alive or have they passed on? Oh, and, yeah. and what bit of wisdom would you have got from your parents, perhaps, that you'd pass on to your kids? And how, how so old are the kids now? Just give me an idea. My kids are 19, 16, 13. And, and my parents are very much alive and they're thriving. My, um, they're both in their 70s. Um, they're both good sports people. In fact, actually, my mum's not that great a sports person because I beat her eight and seven last week playing golf. <laughs> so she's, she's um, if she watches this, she's definitely got to practice a bit more because she's not the player she was. Um, so, you know, obviously the competitive instinct comes from my mum. Um, you know, and I, I love playing competitive sports. Uh, my dad's probably taught me how to be a good loser because he's, you know, although he's a good sports person, he uh, he wasn't as competitive as my mum is. So I think my love of sport and the competition comes from both of them. I, I love that. I love that. And, and the ambition as well. So, you know, they, I kind of touched on class. I, my parents are both what I think what people perceive as working class that have progress through the full employment welfare state and social mobility of the 60s 70s 80s and they've become more successful and I, I love the concept of social mobility and meritocracy and they're both very ambitious people well that resonates strongly with me so I'm a uh, supporter of my wife's charity the Inspiring mm-hmm. Leadership Trust which is about social mobility taking particularly vulnerable girls but but boys as well 16 to 25 particularly who've been in some pretty grim situations, often with abuse, modern day slavery, trafficking, but just abuse and and getting them, giving the very underprivileged some opportunities to meet some privileged people and help them step up the social social divide and play to their skills and talents and believing in themselves, often widening out their viewpoints. so that resonates strongly with what you believe in. And, and this is a great inspiration to other people listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, uh, I, I strongly believe that we should create a society where everybody gets the chance to thrive and succeed. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think post-Britain, post-war, 50s, 60s, the social mobility that was introduced and the prosperity that was shared amongst the population. I think that's what we should be aspiring towards. And it very much worries me, some of the trends that you see in society at the moment, where there's a polarisation between rich and poor. And that, for me, that is really important. Yeah. We, we, that, we, we, that we don't go the direction we're travelling in. Yeah. No, and, and it's, it's leaders like you that can make a real difference and help charities like ours and others that, that are doing this work okay. for social mobility. So thank you for that. We were talking about inspiring leadership and teams. I'll go straight on to who you would recommend as a good young inspiring leader. And again, we're talking about diversity. We've had a whole range of different people, different walks of life. Um, but you, you're focusing in, uh, when we were discussing, on the leaders of tomorrow. And, and who would you think would be two inspiring leaders you found as part of these leaders tomorrow that you think should be on the series and share what they've learned as a inspiration to others who are listening. Yeah, well, there's actually, I'm going to add, I'm going to make it three, because while we've been talking, I've thought of somebody else. So, so Dan Gilbert at Brain Labs is the, the CEO of the business there. You know, Dan's super bright, super intelligent, very driven. 
And he started the business in a pretty commoditized space. And over the last five, six years, it's really grown into a powerhouse. Brain Labs is one of Google's and Facebook's up and coming scale up businesses They're with a great reputation. Dan, Dan's a superb leader. Um, and the other two people I was thinking about are people that are kind of going through a journey. Um, I'm a big fan of a chap called James Conley of Fetch, who set up a mobile advertising business that he scaled and grew and sold into dead to Aegis. Um, again, you know, starting a business up and growing it. I've got massive admiration for any entrepreneur that can start something. Mm. And the other chap's a guy called Aaron Shepherd, who's doing a business called Goats, which is a social social agency. Again, you know, founded it, grown it. Any anybody that takes the risk to set up a business when they're young and really goes for it and turns it into something good, I'm a massive supporter, and I'm a massive supporter of those three three people I've just mentioned. Well, no, thank you for that. And and you know, afterwards, you and I'll get them on the series because we we, we need to hear from people like this to inspire others. Because mm -hmm. I think the country, again, back to this social mobility, we can lift people up. Certainly in the tech space, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I think this country can become really great. Mm -hmm. um, we're currently going through. Um, uh, it's on the news everywhere. The, the global pandemic, which may last us a long time to come. But what's been the impact of COVID? for you personally and for the organizations like Brain Labs that you've been supporting? Yeah, look, I try and take the positive from every situation. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I live in a nice house in London. I've got a nice garden. I've got a lovely family that I spend lots of time with. So actually I, I found, um, and I could spend lots of time on with the dog and doing sport and fitness. Um, you know, COVID was that was good for our family. You know, we spent loads of quality time together, you know, having a proper meal every evening and talking about things and working on projects in the house. You know, I loved all that. That was, that was good. Um, obviously it's, it's not going to be good for Britain in the long term or the world in the long term. We're kind of going through that journey of discovery about what it's going to be like when we get through to the other side, if we do get through to the other side, but it's been, it, it's been a fascinating journey that I've tried to take the positives around the family life. And I've, I think we've benefited in many ways. Um, when it comes to business, and I'll, I'll talk mainly about brain labs here. We had a, when COVID first hit, it was pretty scary because we work with lots of clients in the travel space. Um, so people like TUI and Expedia, PickChup and All Clear Travel Insurance and London Theatre Tickets Direct. And they all stopped investing in media and advertising because their industry is crunched so we had a pretty stark drop in our fees um and we had to take a full advantage of all the government schemes which i think they did a pretty good job on you know the furlough schemes and the kind of uh, bounce back schemes and all the other type of business incentives and we took advantage of that managed the cost base kind of got a good cash flow handle on what was going on in the business and then then i i I think we all started to realise we had clients that were benefiting because of COVID. And our, we were finding winners as well as losers in our, our portfolio. And clients that were in the home improvement space or the DIY space or content online, they all started investing more. And our business has been re really recovering. So, you know, Brain Labs has, has gone through it. I found the whole experience kind of exhilarating in a way, you know, having to have lots of conversations with our clients and with our teams and work as part of a project to to manage the business through the crisis 
and you know it was a real learning thing and sometimes when you you know you, you're you get old and you know, be a bit of an old has been or whatever the, you, you find I've got a, you need new things and new challenges and I really enjoyed that kind of COVID crisis and how it brought the team and society mm. together and focused this on the project about how do we get through it to the other side yeah so you know there's obviously loads of bad things personally I quite enjoyed the crisis and what it what it did for the business and the team and now we're coming through it I think we've got a long way to go, though, because, you know, I talk to the team at Brain Labs lots and, you know, I've had every spectrum from people thinking that working from home and not having to commute is brilliant. And actually, I can do really interesting stuff, coding or building stuff that I don't have to interface with other people. They think it's great. But then I've had other team members, you know, sitting at home crying, saying this is awful. You know, the reason I work at an agency is so I can work as part of a team and get ideas and energy. So you have a massive spectrum from yeah. people that love it through to absolutely loathe them and trying to work through how we're going to reimagine the business so it becomes an exciting, vibrant place to work. That's that's a big challenge for us. And I'm, I, it's something I'm excited about. Yeah. Uh, and that fits with what I'm hearing from, from other leaders, Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's your, again, it's, it has to be a prediction. No one knows the future. Um but how do you think it's going to be for leaders now and in the future? What's the world of work going to be like? And uh, and if you were a sort of betting man, where do you see it going in the next few years? Because all the indicators are, you know, even if we do get a vaccine, uh, some of the scientists are saying that won't be until 2022, 2023, that it's on general release. People are imagining it before then. But and even then, the world won't suddenly go back to how it was. It never will go back. It'll always be different. What's... What's your uh, anticipation of what the world will be like for leaders and their teams? Um, I think all good good leaders have always got a clear vision and a kind of strategy and a plan that they, they can communicate to their teams. So that sense of purpose, this is why, where we're going, why we're going there and what we're going to do along the way of going there. And that's, you know that that's what the what we need is good leaders in business and industry. I, I've no idea how long this is going to go on for. You know, I, all I know is that previous pandemics have ended in the past, and let's assume that's going to happen. I don't know how long it's going to be, but um, I think we're going to see some pretty big changes. I think the you know positive changes. I think we all like the environmental impact. You know, less traffic seeing birds and you know and we need to be a greener planet you know there's no there's no doubt about that so let's hope we can start adopting some greener behaviors and less environmentally damaging behaviors mm. I'd, love, I'd love to see that as a change yeah. i'd also love to you know to people to be able to spend more time with their family you know and friends and you know maybe we don't all need to be working in urban cities maybe we can disperse work into more rural areas and share some of the wealth around the uk mm. um maybe that's going to be a positive upside we can plan it the infrastructure's there that could be good yeah the changes i'd like to see yeah uh, and this is this is one crisis of many that will you know get in the future and we've had many in the past if you had a couple of top tips for people who are in the middle of handling huge change and a crisis just like you've been advising and helping the brain labs team what a couple of tips would you give people for leading in a crisis and during change? Um, I always 
I, I really was impressed by the way the Brain Labs team quantified the size of the crisis. What actually was the impact on their business? What was happening to the cash? Let's communicate clearly to our clients and team what is going on with our business and what we're going to do about it as a result. But it was that kind of fact-finding um, exercise that we went through, first of all, very quickly, that allowed us to get our hands around the size of the problem. And we re reacted to it. And I was really encouraged by all the, all the conversations we had with our clients. And some, sometimes an agency client conversation isn't always completely transparent. I really felt that the great majority of our clients really understood the severity of the situation and communicated clearly with us about what was going on with their businesses and therefore what it meant to us. Um, and we, I think our partnerships got stronger because of that. So I think... You know, the, the, the tip I'd get, give about when you're dealing with the crisis is quantify the size of the crisis and what the impact is and then work out what you're going to do about it with a clear plan, clear strategy and get your team behind that. Because I think, you know, teams want clear leadership. Yeah, they want to yeah. know where they're going and why they're going there yeah, and what, yeah. what's in it for them. Yeah. <laughs> Time and again, this message comes up. Uh, I found I was doing a masterclass the other day with a whole load of CFOs and FDs and the, and the big theme that I was um, I, I picked up is about a clear sense of purpose and giving meaning and purpose to the people, why they're doing what they're doing and how you, as a leader, you're a meaning maker. You've got to make meaning from things. You've got to be a storyteller, put emotion into the facts. So yeah. that why do they come to work? Just to make money for the boss? That isn't going to get them to coming yeah. to work. So a, a clear sense of purpose is, is very true. That really resonates what you've just said. And on the opposite side of good leadership, Jim, mm -hmm. uh, during this time and uh, other crises you've been involved in, what kind of mistakes do you see managers and leaders making? The, what I'd call the, the misleaders, the uh, expiring leaders. What, what kind of errors do, could, could people avoid yeah. making that you've seen them make? Uh, it's, I mean, that's... That... <laughs> It's that's quite difficult. So, because you know, I've worked my own companies where I, I'm one of the leaders in the business for the last you know, 20, 30 years now. So, it, it's been a long time since I've been working within other companies, um, and my, those companies were fine as well. What what I really hate is the the, the bullshit artists that are in it for themselves, mm -hmm. um, where you just don't believe any of the promises they make to the industry or the teams and you know, I, I, I like to think that the bullshit artists get found out in the long run. Um, uh, but that's that, that they're the type of people that, you know, you just you're making false promise after false promises to your to your shareholders, to your team, to your clients and just always getting yeah. one. You, you, you make me smile. I was listening to uh, stand up comedy with my wife last night and uh, one of the comedians, I think it was in Bristol, and he was saying the Internet it's really ruined life for the bullshitters he said, because I grew up with, you know, Lance and Lance told me having been to um, the wax works in London, Madame Tussauds and taking pictures with his mum and dad, that this was at a barbecue his mum and dad had in the garden and what, and he met Nelson Mandela and you know, George Formby. Yeah. Yeah. They came along. And of course, he couldn't check on that. And he, he went, oh, right, okay. But nowadays, people say something that's complete bullshit in a pub and someone's nearby going, yeah, that's so true. And go, that's bollocks. That doesn't <laughs> work at all. 
<laughs> yeah, here's a picture. You're not there. Yeah, and, but you, um, you're, you're assuming <laughs> you're assuming that everything on the internet is true, though. You know, it's that's, true. But, oh God, yes. Uh, what, what do you reckon to this whole thing about fake news? And and I think Trump has had a lot to do with damning any opposition. Must be fake news, and his stuff must be true. I, I think uh, Edelman with Chucko Umana, who was on this series, and he is involved in ESG uh, investments uh, for Edelman. Um, so very much along the lines of the environment you've been talking around. Uh, and um, they did a survey about the trust index. And they said, yeah. if you're a Republican, you don't trust all the news, uh, big newspapers and the news media that Trump hates. And if you're a Democrat, you don't trust government. Uh, and the level of trust on both sides has gone down to all time low. But you've been working in the sort of search engine optimization what, what, what would you realistically warn us about out there, about what is fake and what is real and how, how do you sort of make sense of the truth? Yeah, that's, that's a really good, big question. The search engine side of stuff, I, I think let's, let's push that to one side because I think the search engines, if, if they're not relevant and true, they, 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 they stop existing. So the search engines, what you find in the search engines by and large, should be pretty accurate. Otherwise, people stop using them um, and because they're reference points. On the So search engines, the social media platforms, I think I've got a big um, challenge ahead of themselves because it's very possible to reach huge volumes of people on social platforms very quickly because there's, I don't know, two or three billion people every day accessing social media platforms through their smartphones or on the, the internet. And you can target those people very precisely and very accurately into quite small numbers. So if, if you're so inclined, you can spread bad information um, around to a, a targeted group of people. And I'm, I've got no doubt that in the last couple of elections, we have had bad players destabilizing our country and ignore every other country um, with bad information because they're, they're, they want to destabilize Western democracies. Um, what I would say is the social platforms themselves are very aware of this and are desperately trying to stop that happening and looking at their policies. And I, I really hope they get it right because they can't say, turn around to people and say, you know, people people don't aren't impacted by what they see on our platforms. Otherwise, their advertising messages are dead, because people advertise on those platforms every day, trying to influence people's behaviour, mm. and it's effective. You know, I, I can take an advertiser's budget and spend it on Facebook or TikTok or whoever, and people's behaviour changes as a result of that advertising budget. And Facebook and TikTok and all the others need to believe that's true, and they do know it's true. So they've got a, a duty to act properly and control what is published on their platforms. Otherwise, they're dead because the governments will shut them down. And it's a, a whole nother topic, but a fascinating one about the human psychology mm -hmm. of how you're influenced. And there was a very good Netflix program about the dark side mm -hmm. of the, the whole social media, which I, I can't remember the name of it, but it was yeah. really fascinating about how human psychologists understand how to get us hooked mm -hmm. and addicted yeah. to social media when we should be stopping and and i uh, was trained by an interesting guy brian johnson on a coaching yeah. program in california and and one of the series you talked about is digital detox and yeah. 
digital minimize uh, minimalism and when you switch off and when you're not on the platforms whole yeah. interesting thing uh find a couple of questions jim um the, the first one would be what would you like your legacy to be of all these different things that you've done what would you like your legacy to be both for your family and and for your work and then finally what would be a book you'd recommend hmm. well legacy i mean i'm really glad you started with 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 family i'd like to be known as a good husband and a good father and a good friend. Um, I'd like to be known as uh, a good sportsman uh, and a nice bloke uh, and somebody that is good to hang out with. So that's 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 what I'd like to be known for. I, I don't want I don't want to have a blue plaque or a statue or anything like that. Like that. Um, business wise, um, I'd like to you know I'd like to I really enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy helping build good teams and good companies. And I'm on a bit of a journey now because I'm, I'm less of an executive and more of a, a mental coach guider than a, a doer. And that's that's not an easy journey to go through. But I'd like to be successful at that and help businesses be successful in the eyes of their clients, their team, their shareholders. And, you know, and I like making a bit of money. I'd like my kids to, to benefit from that. Um, and the next... That's kind of legacy for me. Yeah, that's good. And the book? Um, well, I am, I'm a big reader and I love reading books and I'm reading a great book at the moment. So my, my, I'm 52 and my granddad died when, in 1979 when I was about 11. And um, he, was, he was a really interesting bloke. And he talked a, a lot about his war experience, you know, luckily. And, you know, I was fascinated by it, but I was fascinated in the eyes of an 11 year old boy. It sounded like guns and boats and planes and all the excitement and none of the downside. And I, you know, I'd, I'd kind of tucked it away uh, until I was talking to my dad the other week when he, um, I saw the Tom Hanks film, um, Greyhound. And it, it's about, you know, it's got some British destroyers in it. And one of those was my granddad's boat. And I said, oh, my grand granddad's boat was mentioned in that film. And my dad went, well, I'm not surprised. It's C.S. Forrester. And C.S. Forrester wrote a book called... Because he's a hornblower, isn't he? He's a hornblower, yeah. He does all the naval books. Yeah. And he wrote The Greyhound, which that... Um, um, the, the Good Shepherd, which his Greyhound is based upon. And he said, um, uh, Grandad served on uh, the Maltese convoys. And uh, there's a book called the ship, which is about that convoy going to relieve the siege of Malta. And it's C.S. Forrester served on your granddad's boat. And granddad is one of the people in, in the book, fictionalised. And, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. And it's, it's a great book. And it's got some great stuff about leadership, about how the captain commands his boat and knows all about everything but at a very top level but his team get the detail right and he so he sets the course of strategy it's a brilliant book and my granddad's in it so i recommend that entirely the, the ship by c.s forrester i will i will read it I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through at the moment i don't know what's going to happen at the end but i know he survives <laughs> well no thank you and jim Brigham, thank you very much for being on the inspiring leadership series um really found it invaluable and i know the audience would have enjoyed it too so thank you very welcome. Thank you. I enjoyed it. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? 
If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.